This is Hebrews chapter 13, beginning in verse 7. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience, desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I appeal to you, brothers, bear with my word of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly. You should know that our brother Timothy has been released, with whom I shall see you if he comes soon. Greet all your leaders and all the saints. Those who come from Italy send you greetings. Grace be with all of you. This is God's word. Amen. Let's take our seats. Well, as you can see already, Eric's read a rather lengthy passage, so we're going to walk through that passage today. It's already been a great day of worship as we've been led into the presence of the Lord through song. Um, Wonderful to also have a beautiful baby dedication. And let me also mention that the Stars Ministry, which did a great job, what you didn't know is actually their notes were a little bit different than the notes that were on the screen there as well. So as you see members of our Stars Ministry, let's call them superstars because they did a great job walking through that together, didn't they? Let's do that, yeah. So um, if you're a guest, I am not Josh Moody, and um, you'll actually see that in the program. It says Pastor Josh Moody and has a, uh, a remarkably lengthy passage to address on the last day of this series. Uh, but we're going to talk about, we're in a series of Better Future. We've been looking at Hebrews 11, 12, and 13. Um, I wish I wasn't here because Josh is homesick. He's, uh, we talked yesterday, texted again this morning. He's doing well with mild symptoms. Uh, but I do love that you're going through the book of Hebrews. So Josh and I talked yesterday, and he was very gracious. You just, you know, if you can just, because I mean, he asked Friday, so he said, if you can just preach on anything you got, like, great. And, but you would then have to finish this series up in the next year, and I just thought it'd be great for us to point to Jesus as the writer of Hebrews so beautifully, beautifully does. And I'm so thankful for Josh. I'm, um, I'm actually the de- one of the deans over at Wheaton College, and Josh will actually start, uh, he'll be teaching a class for us next semester, so we're excited about that, just the long-term partnership we've had with College Church as well. Now, I should tell you, I'm not the amazing preacher that, that Josh is. I started working on this message Friday, so let's get busy. Um, LAUGHTER 
<laughs> Just a reminder, Hebrews is written to Jewish Christians, and uh, they're schooled in the Old Testament, and he's exhorting them to kind of stick together and not go back into Judaism, and that something better is ahead. Uh, also, too, there's a, there's a clear theme pointing to Jesus and a call for us to point others to Jesus. Josh explained last week, find a non-Christian and love them to Jesus. That's part of the focus here. Throughout the book, the writer of Hebrews has been encouraging to, just to move forward in their faith. And we're going to end this series with the title of this message, Moving Forward Together. As I read through these verses, I was also struck by how timeless the Bible is. This passage certainly spoke to their particular situation 2,000 years ago, but it surely speaks to the season we are in as well. It's been a tough stretch for pastors, elders, and leaders, and we have an exhortation here for them and to them. It's been a time for uncertainty and division and conspiracies and, and, uncer- and you know, division, and, and we're reminded to look to Jesus in times like that, just like they were 2,000 years ago. It's been a time of higher levels of anxiety and division and struggle in many ways. We're reminded to look to our future for our hope. So in the following the outline, we're going to kind of walk through this text, and uh, we're going to follow the outline of the text, look at three key things, right? We're going to keep moving forward together in a community with leaders, looking forward to a community and a city to come, and leaning on Jesus together. Now, we're going to see this, that God's eternal plan of salvation is our hope, the church is our community, and heaven is our goal, our destination. This passage, in some ways, summarizes the whole letter, the epistle. And as Josh noted, uh, Pastor Josh noted, uh, the Christians were facing a struggle on returning to their tradition, to their ceremony, uh, rather than continuing to pursue Christ. And in our passage, the writer concludes with an exhortation to keep walking together. And in a time of division and brokenness, isn't that a great message for us to keep walking together, leaning on the hope they have and we have in Christ, resisting false teaching so common in their day and even outside forces in our day. We keep moving forward together in a community with leaders, looking forward to a community and a city to come, and leaning on Jesus together. Three things, some of you are note-takers, you can jot these down if you'd like. Number one on outline is the call to keep learning from your leaders to keep learning from your leaders. Hopefully, if you have a Bible, take it out. If you don't have one, maybe turn one on, and you can follow along with us. Because it's a lengthy passage, I want to encourage you to have your Bible open, because I'm going to keep pointing back to it and walking through this passage with you. So number one in our outline is keep learning from your leaders. Let me read verses 7 through 10. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the Word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have, been, uh, which have not benefited those devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. Now, this passage has got some complexity to it like a lot of Hebrews does, but Pastor Josh has actually been walking through this, and so I'm going to mention a few things that have already been addressed in the past, but one of the things why we love expository preaching is it allows us to build on ideas so we're not starting from the beginning at each passage. So I would encourage you to watch these if this is your first time here, you're joining us online, watch this series online as Pastor Josh has walked through the text. But uh, here, you can't miss this. Number one is keep learning from your leaders. You can't miss the emphasis on leaders in this passage, right? Three times we read about leaders. Remember them, uh, keep them in mind in verse 7, probably referring to the leaders who had died and maybe were founders of the church, who had gone before as well. 
Um, and, and again, that at College Church, we have a long legacy and a long history upon which we stand. Uh, women and men who have gone before us have been faithful to the gospel, uh, and that's a beautiful reality. Now, as Zach Fallon goes out to now plant a church sent out by College Church, he'll be planting a church, and if the Lord tarries 50, 60 years from now, people will go back and they'll think of Zach and the leaders that helped found that church as well. So the idea at the end of this, it also says, greet your leaders, part of the final words. There's a very strong theme about leaders here. And also, too, we want to not miss verse 17. Let me read verse 17 uh, to 19. It says, obey your leaders and submit to them. I'm not entirely convinced that Pastor Josh didn't intentionally fake illness today (laughs) so that I could come and preach this passage to you. Obey your leaders and submit to them. Now, we're going to get to that, and it says, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Listen to them. Uh, let them. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience, desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you sooner. So let me say, when it talks about leadership here, there are several things I just want to walk through. We've read the text. Leadership is obviously important. Matter of fact, every human endeavor involves leadership. Teams have coaches. Schools have deans. Nations have presidents or prime ministers. Businesses have CEOs. And churches have pastors and elders. Three of the New Testament letters are actually written. They're called the pastoral epistles, are written and aimed at church leaders. Leaders in the church are shepherds under the great shepherd. Verse 20 is going to get to that. Leaders aren't to run your lives or to ruin your lives, but to give guidance to you under the Lord. Now, again, this is important here. This is not everything that the Bible says about leadership. When we come to a passage, we're walking through a text. There are some things and certain things and biblical things that are here, but it's not everything that the Bible says about leadership. And these words may be not popular today. But they're in God's inerrant word. They matter, and I want us to walk through these things together. Remember, we keep moving forward together in a community with leaders, looking forward to the community in the city to come and leaning on Jesus together. So let's look at two kind of big things under that. I'm just going to walk through the text, if that works. Let's walk through it together. First, you need leaders, right? You need leaders. Why? Well, let's take a look. Let's just walk through the text. Lots of examples here. Leaders speak the Word of God to you. Verse 7 says, those who spoke to you the Word of God. So leaders speak the Word of God to you. This probably refers to those who faithfully done so in the past, maybe have passed away, but also applies to current leaders, right? We have leaders here who faithfully teach and preach God's Word, and we've had leaders in the past who faithfully teach and preach God's Word. So we can relate to this passage as well. So leaders, first, leaders speak the Word of God to you, but leaders live the Word of God before you. Leaders live the Word of God before you. Three words, imitate their faith. So there's a call to imitate the faith of these leaders who lived faithfully. May may we look to those who came before us and seek to continue to live in the faithfulness they modeled to us. Now, mind you, it doesn't mean that leaders are perfect. Um, You know, Josh and I are friends. Um, Josh is wonderful. He speaks of you with love and care. He handles the Word of God faithfully and truthfully, but he is not perfect. I have examples. Um, His inordinate love for British movies. He texts me and he says, hey, Dunkirk is out. Do you want to go to the movies? And I said, you mean a movie about the greatest military defeat that Britain ever experienced? Sure. He says, but it's heroic. I said, but they lost. 
And I think we went to some Churchill thing or something like that. So Josh is not perfect. <laughs> but leaders live the Word of God before you, not just Josh, but your, your pastors, right? Your pastors who model that for you. I loved how you applauded uh, the other Josh. How many Joshes can you possibly have on one church staff? But just one quick thing about the other Josh, those pronunciation skills, very impressive today, weren't they? Very impressive. But, but again, your staff and your elders, I, I hope that in a time of division that you are aware that right now it's a difficult time to be a pastor, a staff member, and an elder of a local church. Because there are all these voices who are upset and unhappy and all these strong opinions and the division that has actually made its way into the culture broadly and widely that we all see and feel has actually began to seep into churches in ways that we haven't seen in a long time. So leaders live the Word of God before you. It's not an easy time. So they speak the Word of God to you. They live the Word of God before you. And leaders point to Jesus, verse 8. Leaders point to Jesus. All of a sudden, we're talking about leaders, and then right in the middle of it is a verse that some of you have on a plaque. You have it in knitting on a wall. You, you've memorized it, and it's just in the middle of talking about leaders because it's not about leaders. It's about Jesus, and it says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I love that. So leaders point you to Jesus. This is one of the most memorable verses from the entire book of Hebrews, and the real leader of God's people is the unchanging Jesus Christ. Their, their founding leaders pointed them to Jesus. The writer of Hebrews points them to Jesus. 2,000 years later, the leaders of College Church point you to Jesus. We look not to a changeable, frail, and imperfect human leader or leaders. We look to our unchanging, immutable Lord. They keep you from false teaching, right? We see that in verses 9 and 10. Unlike Jesus, who's always faithful and stays the same, there are false teachers who will lead you astray. He talks about all different kinds of diverse ways that people can be led astray. It says, do not be led away. Do not be led away. It's passive, right? So someone's leading them away. Outside voices are leading them away, leading them from truth. Kent Hughes wrote in his commentary on Hebrews, it might be best understood as stop being led away. So there's a sense of being led away from the truth, outside forces, and leaders are to help keep you from false and foolish teaching. And the alternative is actually laid out right here before us, I think, in a quite beautiful way. Listen to what it says. It says, don't be led, this is verse 9, don't be led away from diverse and strange teachings. You can read it along with me. For it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace. I love that. It is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. Now, that's a reference to the rules, the ceremonial rules and laws that the people would follow. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, those don't really benefit you. What really benefits you is for your heart to be strengthened by grace. Remember, as Pastor Josh said last week, uh, these are Jewish Christians who are kind of being tempted to look back to ceremonial foods, and the writer is calling them not to look back to, as Pastor Josh explained, the Levitical system, because they're strengthened by grace. Instead, Verse 10, instead, verse 10 says, believers now have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. Now, what's going on there? Well, an altar, right, is pointing to ultimately the work of Christ, right, is sacrifice. Uh, and those who served in the tabernacle, in the tent, in the Old Testament under the Old Covenant, here, now the picture is, well, well, they actually don't have a, a, uh, a, a, an access to any altar other than, just like all of us, the altar upon which we know of our Savior. 
So they are reminded, and we are reminded 2,000 years later, that our altar is not physical and outer, but spiritual and inner, seen in the work of Christ, his sacrifice for us. So a key point here from the writer of Hebrews 2,000 years ago, speaking about their ceremonial laws to us 2,000 years later, you cannot follow Jesus and something else. For them, it was the past rituals and ceremonies. For you, it could be a whole lot of other things. It could be your desire to be liked. It could be your concern that people might be offended when you, as Josh talked about last week, seek to love them to Christ. It could be uh, how, many, how people think about you on social media. It could, be, it could be all kinds of things, but Jesus will not and does not share his glory with anybody else. As the recent song says, he has no rival. More on leaders. They watch over your souls and they give an account to God. Look at verse 17, strong words in verse 17, but it speaks to how they give an account. We start to obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. And as they take seriously this charge, we take seriously the call to submit and to follow, because someone leads when we're in this thing called a church together. We keep moving forward together in a community with leaders, looking forward to a community and a city to come and leaning on Jesus together. But that's not all, right? You need leaders, but leaders need you. Verse 18 helps us with that. Leaders need you. They need your prayers. Leaders of the church are people too. And there's been, again, a particularly difficult time for church leaders over the past couple years. Best thing, and maybe the first thing you can do is look at the words of verse 18. Pray for us. There it is. What a great reminder. We're specifically praying for Pastor Josh for his recovery, but praying on a regular basis. Pray for us. For what are we to pray? Verse 18 continues and says, we are sure that we have a clear conscience desiring to act honorably in all things. So we're praying, right? The author gives a specific example, right? And then the author says, I urge you to do this more earnestly that I may be restored to you sooner. Pray for me to be restored to you sooner. We don't know the situation, but we know that the writer of Hebrews gives a specific example. We don't even pray generally. We pray specifically. Learn the needs of your leaders and pray for them. Take them to the Father in prayer. It's a challenging time. Um, Primarily what I do, I... uh, I lead primarily the, we mentioned Billy Graham, so I'm primarily the, the dean of what's now called the Litvin School over at Wheaton. And uh, we train a lot of pastors and church leaders. And I hear from over and over again, there's never been a time like this in my lifetime, they say over and over again. I've never felt that no matter what I do, there's a substantial part of my popula- uh, p- p- congregation that is mad at me, that is uh, unhappy with the decisions that we've made as elders and more. It's been nothing like this before. And I'm afraid to say, often, I don't think this is the end of it. I think we're still walking through this. The challenge remains before us. So how do we pray for our leaders? Well, we pray that they might have clarity and wisdom in the midst of a divided time. But also, too, it's worth noting that the writer of Hebrews is talking about these outside forces who are trying to influence the people of God and bring them somewhere else to something else. And 2,000 years later, it's not the same thing, but it is the application is still at work. 2,000 years later, there are significant forces in the culture that are actually now seeping in, the division seeping into the church and causing division to take place in congregations in a way we haven't seen in decades. And I don't know all of those outside forces, and I, I, but I, I will know this. I, I do know that people are increasingly shaped by things other than the teaching and preaching of the Word of God in their local church. 
Matter of fact, far too many people are being discipled by their cable news choices. They're being spiritually shaped by their social media, and they're ending up mad at their leaders and their church because of things they've seen or heard in those contexts. Now, it's not only that. It's not all of that. But what I want to say to you is that you have a biblical teaching and a call to be in community with other believers and to prioritize that over other things. So let me be clear. If cable news, the 2,000-year-later outside force that may be drawing you out of fellowship with others, if cable news is keeping you from unity with your sisters and brothers in Christ, turn it off, unplug it, unsubscribe from it, and prioritize your church over cable or anything else. The Word of God taught and preached prioritize over any outside force that seeks to shape us and divide us. So we begin the passage Keep learning from your leaders. 2,000 years ago, the outside forces were drawing them a different direction. We are not tempted to return to the traditions and ceremonies of our past in the same way they are. But 2,000 years later, there's still outside forces, and we still need leaders to pray for, to encourage, and to walk along with. Keep learning from your leaders, number one. Number two, keep looking to your future. Advent is a season of longing. We are longing for the future. Keep looking to the future. Now, that's not some, you know, positive thinking. Let's, you know, buck up and think well because tomorrow's going to be better. But the writer of Hebrews has some specifics in mind and has some background we need to walk through. Let's look, and if you have your Bibles open, you'll see verse 11. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin, are burned outside the camp. Now, if this is your first time at church, you are now saying, what in the world are they talking about? Again, part of the challenge, I want to encourage you to go back, listen, go online to our website, watch through the messages. But this is pointing back to the practice in the Old Testament under the Old Covenant where, uh, where animals would be sacrificed. And, and, and we're going to walk through this passage to understand it more. Look at verse 12. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate. Animals outside the camp, Jesus outside the gate, in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek a city that is to come. Keep looking to the future. Through him, then, let us continue to offer up the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. So the writer of Hebrews to make the point that Jesus is greater than anything else, a recurring theme. You've heard Pastor Josh talk about it. He points us back to, in verse 11, to the Day of Atonement in Leviticus 16, and which included the sin offering in Leviticus 4. Uh, the blood of animals were brought into the sanctuary, sprinkled on the mercy seat, and then on the horns of the altar outside. Then the bodies of those slain animals were burned outside the camp outside the camp. So, so here, the writer of Hebrews is pointing to those practices, right, and, and, and what took place uh, at the ministry at the tabernacle and showing that now there's a different and a new understanding, right? So the camp here refers to the ceremonies and traditions that came before that the people that the writer of Hebrews is writing to was maybe feeling drawn back to, but, uh, but it referred to the institutional reality that had actually neglected or rejected Jesus, and Jesus points to is then outside the gate, right? You see the clear correlation, right? The outside the camp, outside the gate. Verse 12 and 13 tell us the once for all work of Christ 
as our sacrifice for sin and Jesus outside of their expected understanding of their own religion and faith has actually shown a new way. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth, not just one people, let earth receive her king. And so we can see the connection even here with the Christmas season, right? The, when Jesus came as a baby, he was laid in a manger. Uh, there was no room for him even in the inn. He was outside, outside consistently of the traditional religious leaders and practices of his day. As a matter of fact, even those who came to worship him were outside of the traditional ceremonial practices of their day. Uh, wise men, Gentiles from far away, shepherds, and more. Jesus was always considered an outsider to the religious establishment of his day. And here we're reminded that Jesus was crucified outside of the city gates. In the same way, uh, these Jewish believers needed to go outside of their ceremonial laws to understand this new gospel message that Jesus embodied, made possible, lived and died and was resurrected. So this means that for Jews and for Gentiles, for all people, a Savior has come. A Savior, right, outside the gates of Jerusalem, born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, died on the cross for our sin and in our place, and God raised him from the dead on the third day. And the passage gets to all that. We see what the purpose was, right? It says to sanctify the people. We can see how Jesus did this. He says through his own blood. We can see where this took place. He suffered outside the gate. And actually, we can actually see that reflected in the Gospels themselves. The writer, John, the Gospel writer, says this in John 19, 17. And he went out, Jesus, bearing his own cross, to a place called the Place of the Skull, which is Aramaic, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. He went outside of the gates. And our identity as believers is tied to what Jesus did for us and how he died for our sin on the cross and in our place. It's not what we do, it's what Jesus did. But it's also a reminder, 2,000 years ago, they were often confused and being conflicted and drawn into the idea that it was Jesus plus something else. It was Jesus plus ceremonial laws. It was Jesus plus their traditions. 2,000 years later, Jesus plus anything else is something other than Christianity. Syncretism is not our salvation. Verse 13, it says, bear the reproach because of what Jesus did for us. We can and may indeed suffer for him. This is aimed at those who want to follow the easier path, back reverting to their ceremonies and traditions rather than continuing on with Jesus. Verse 14 reminds us that because of Jesus, we have a future, and we're going to keep looking in that direction. Look at verse 14. It says, for here we have no lasting city. We have no lasting city, right? Wheaton's not going to last forever, College church, probably going to last forever. Wheaton College, probably going to last forever, right? Through him we have no, for here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. That's the future, right? As Josh said two weeks ago, there, there were too many of these people who were looking back, being tempted to go back into their old ways and the trappings instead of facing persecution. Who wants to face persecution? So instead of facing persecution, you could go back to the old ways of doing things. And we saw in chapter 12, we also see here, the way to respond to the persecution is look to the future, the city that is yet to come. Notice two times it says we. It's we. This is common hope as believers. Together we look to the day when God will restore all things. Until then we wait and we serve and follow Jesus. What do we do during that time? Verses 15 and 16 actually tell us. Verse 15 says, first, we continually offer up the sacrifice of praise to God. You can see it there in the text with our lips. What a great opportunity for us to do. Even in the busy time of Christmas, 
And when the clerk at Costco doesn't wish you Merry Christmas, do not snarl back, Jesus is the reason for the season. Let's respond with grace and peace and joy because we continually offer up the sacrifice of praise to God. Jesus gives us a new song, right? So we, that song remains in our hearts. Secondly, we show generosity to others, which also glorifies God. Look at verse 16. It says, Do not neglect to do good and share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. And we heard our new pastor, Josh, just share a few minutes ago as we come to our end of the year giving. That's an opportunity for us to joyfully give and to live in light even of what the writer of the book of Hebrews says. Matter of fact, praising God and having generosity to others seems like a good way to live until Jesus returns. And there's nothing we can give that would be uh, that, that would be beyond what Christ has given, and, and it would be for God's glory and the good of others. And, 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 and in doing so, we model and mirror the kind of life that the writer of Hebrews points us to. Remember, we keep moving forward together in a community with leaders, looking forward to a city and a community to come, and leaning on Jesus together. Number three, and finally, I want you to recognize that, um, that this is a long passage, so I hope you packed a lunch. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but, but I do want to finish with this passage here. And first was keep learning from your leader. Second was keep looking to your future. Third is keep leaning on your master. Verses 20 through 25 says this. It says, Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep, and by the blood of the eternal covenant, verse 21, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us, which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to him, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I appeal to you. You might have, when Eric was reading it, when he said, forever and ever, amen, you thought he was done, and then it kept going on. You remember that? It's a long passage. It says, I appeal to you, brothers, bear with my word of exhortation. I appeal to you, bear with my message for one more point. For I've written you briefly. You should know that our brother Timothy has been released, with whom I shall see you if he comes soon. Greet all your leaders and all the saints. Those who come from Italy send you greetings. Grace be with all of you. Now, we're into the end of the book, right? We're finishing our series on Hebrews today. I asked Josh yesterday, well, have you, have you speculated on who the author is? And he said, I don't think I have. I think I've said the writer of Hebrews the, the whole time. So I'm here to tell you who the writer of Hebrews actually is. Um, I actually, I did a little Googling, and it's, I, can't, <laughs> I can't put it on the internet if it's not true. Um, actually, a scholar that I work with, Dr. Amy Peeler, she's a uh, Work with a professor Wheaton, one of the one of the leading scholars in Hebrews. He probably says the best guess is Apollos. Okay, and I, I agree with her. Um, but it's interesting that the book doesn't end with the author, doesn't start with the author, because it's not about the author. It's about Jesus. And the point is here. It's not about the author. It's about Jesus. So let's look at what it says. It says this: Our Lord Jesus, the great Shepherd of the sheep. It goes on to say, pleasing in His sight through Jesus Christ. To Him be, to Him, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So as we walk through this life, we notice the one to whom we look and upon whom we lean. The one to whom we look and upon whom we lean. As we're moving into, through Advent into the Christmas season, we can be reminded first that He is the God of peace. Verse 20 says it specifically. Now may the God of peace, He is the God of peace. Peace on earth, goodwill towards men. We hear these things, but God brings us peace, the text says, by the blood of the eternal covenant. Jesus died 
That babe in the manger grows up, sheds blood, dies on the cross. God raises him from the dead on the third day. Hebrews points us to a new covenant through Christ's once-for-all sacrifice. Once-for-all sacrifice. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 11 through 14. Let me just read it through you, to you quickly. It says this, Every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down. Because it was done. It was finished. He sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. So he is the God of peace. He's also he's the one who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus. He brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, which is central to our faith. So Christmas is a wonderful celebration that is incomplete unless we understand that God raised him from the dead on the third day. Romans 10.9 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you're here today and this is a new message for you, I would invite you to come talk to me or to our staff. I want you to understand that the message of Christmas does not end with a babe in a manger, but ends with an empty tomb. It changes everything. It goes on in verse 20, says, He is the great shepherd of the sheep. This harkens back to John chapter 10, verse 11. I am the good shepherd, Jesus says, but don't miss this. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. In verse 21, it says, He equips us through Jesus Christ. 2 Peter 1, 3 reflects the teaching of Hebrews chapter 13, verse 21. It says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His glory and His excellence. So verse 21 says, equip you with every good thing. It's a recurring theme of Scripture. Finally, He, as we walk through the text, He's the only one worthy of eternal glory. The only one. It actually says specifically to Him. It says, pleasing in His sight through Jesus Christ, to Him be glory forever and ever. Amen. We don't walk in our own strength. We don't strive in our effort alone. And in a time that's tumultuous, different issues, but tumult and turbulence nevertheless, 2,000 years after this time, we can heed the same exhortation that they received, which is to look to Jesus the same yesterday, today, and forever. Because again, I don't know the future of this local church called College Church. I'm so thankful for this church. I live just four blocks over there. I pray regularly for this church. I, uh, I, I tell Josh, I think he's the, he's the pastor of this town. His influence is significant and important. This church matters to Wheaton. But I don't know what the future of this church is. 100 years from now, if the Lord tarries, 200 years from now, I'm not a prophet. I'm not the son of a prophet. I work at a nonprofit organization. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what the future of Wheaton College is, right? I don't know. But here's what I know. Here's what I know. If we will set our minds, hearts, focus, and devotion upon Jesus, the one worthy of eternal glory, the one who it says that is to whom be the glory, power forever and ever, as College Church and Wheaton College and other churches that preach the gospel and other institutions that serve Him here, when we place our hope, faith on Jesus, we keep moving forward together in a community with leaders, looking forward to a community and a city to come and leaning on Jesus together. The last words of Hebrews are verse 25, grace be with all of you. Those are my last words to you.
that as a church in the midst of tumultuous and turbulent times, you might heed the words of the writer of Hebrews about being together in a community with leaders, about looking forward to a community, a city to come, not to be divided by outside forces, leaning on Jesus together. As we go to Christmas in these next few weeks, let's move forward, make much of Jesus, and may his name and his fame be more widely known. Would you pray with me? Thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you for the word here in Hebrews. Father, I pray that you might continue to speak to us, to unite us, focused on the good news that Jesus indeed was born of a virgin, miracles abounding his birth, lives a sinless life, dies on the cross for our sin and in our place, and God raises him from the dead in the third day. To him belong all glory, praise, and honor. Make that as it has always been for as long as College Church has been here, the focus of this body and believers. Outside forces might buffet and tumult and turbulence might be around, but may we be focused on making much of Jesus, for it's in his name and for his sake we pray. Amen and amen.